Tonight, I am going to address some of the things you brought up last week. I'll remind you of what you brought up last night, last week. There was uh, one thing that I'm not going to be able to address tonight too well, but Mrs. Robertson is not here, so she'll have to forgive me. I, I came up with some good passages this week, except for two girls chatting in their room at night when they're supposed to be going to sleep. Don't have much from that one, sorry, um, but we're going to deal with some of the other things that did come up. So, um, we are dealing with the discipline and recognizing rebellion in the area of growing in stature. And so we focused, uh, I'm just bringing to your recall, that in the discipline aspect, the D of our D-I-A-P-E-R acrostic for uh, the biblical model, uh, which starts out with discipline, then instruction, then authority, then provision, then example, and then rebellion, uh, and recognizing rebellion. So the diaper. So we're dealing with the diaper of raising kids. Um, the discipline was about structure, about providing our children lots of structure, not only in terms of their schedule, but their activities, their diet, um, their education, all those things. We are looking at structure, structure, structure. But then we are also talking about disciplinarianism, which is more of, of what we think of as punishment. And uh, that's where a lot of your questions are coming in from, is the, that direction. How do we deal with rebellion against these things? Um, and again, as I said last two, was that last week? Yeah, last week. Um, I am not one to advocate food wars, um, that we have a battle at the dinner table. Um, there are so many things going on there. Do they need good nutrition? Yes. Uh, if you are careful to provide that, um, then and limit, severely limit their access to sugars, uh, you're going to have a lot less problems. If you are implementing a good schedule with good sleep, you're going to have less behavioral issues. We talked about that way at the beginning of this. And so you're just going to have a better-natured child. Uh, all these things add up. They, they contribute to a healthy upbringing that we will grow, not only wisdom, but in stature. That God cares about these bodies. Um, he designed them. He gave them to us. Uh, we often associate them with sin, the sinfulness of the flesh. Um, but the fact is, he also wants us to glorify God in our bodies, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, if you recall last Sunday morning's message um, on the screen here. Uh, and so we recognize that this body matters. And so we want to um, invest ourselves in raising our children to grow in stature. Jesus Christ increased in stature in wisdom, stature, in favor with God, in favor with man. And so that is part of Christ's own personal growth through childhood. And so in, this, in his growing in stature, what are the beneficial things are for their body and their, their brain is part of their body too. Um, and so we want to invest in that. And we've looked through all that. When we look about rec recognizing rebellion and how to uh, discipline rebellion and and see that these children are always going to choose um, towards things that are generally unhealthy. That if you give them the choice between sitting around watching TV or playing on their phone or getting good exercise, they'll always choose that. That is Satan's way, um, and it is uh, one of the instruments that we've identified in Scripture as being one of the hideous tools that he uses. And so we uh, try to severely limit that to encourage healthy development physically in their muscles, but also in their mind and their brain uh, and the rewiring that happens from that. Uh, and so then we also talk to them rebelling against dietary things, and we're not going to do that at the dinner table. We do that at the shopping cart. We deal with dietary issues by shopping properly. Uh, that's where you win that war, not at the table. Um, you win the war shopping, and if it's not in your house, you can't give it. The kid can't ask for it, and so um, it's not an option, and they can cry all they want, but if you don't eat that, there's not much else to eat, and uh, that means that if you do have something else to eat that is not accessible to them, uh, then they become adults, and bags of chips disappear into their rooms. 
Uh, and so I counted three or four this week that just, I saw it go down the hall, and as soon as it went down the hall, I was like, goodbye to that, Chips. I'll never see the other end of that. Uh, or I might see a few crumbs. Uh, but in their youth, um, they, they're in their childhood, that you should be able to limiting access. There's a reason the bag of chips are on the very top shelf. Um, they're in the pantry. They're hidden. Um, and my wife was spectacular about hiding candy. My wife is is the supplier. She is the candy lady, all right? And if in our house, there's always bags and bags and bags of chocolate in our house, all right? Um, and as long as I've known her, that's been the case. That, that was the case with her mom. Her mom was the same way, all right? My mother-in-law is like bags of candy. I mean, so much they can't eat it, and it goes bad. I mean, I remember being there one day and opening, and there was worms in it. I was like, what is this? Oh, that's been there too long. You know, let me tell you. I was like, why do you have so much candy? Uh, it's not that they eat that much. It's like, it's like a security blanket to them. They have to have bags of candy. Well, my wife would hide that. And other than one rebellious child that went and found the hiding spot and would drag out candy from mom and dad's bedroom, which was a forbidden area. It was physically forbidden for them to go into our bedroom unaccompanied or uninvited. And you need to have secure places like that in your home for your own health, uh, for your own privacy, for your own uh, relationship with your wife and husband. Um, they should have those. They should have parameters. And children can learn those pretty fast. Even my, my, the tragedy is, is that my grandchildren are not learning those parameters. Because they get arrived at my house at like 6.20 for me to babysit them. And I am still in bed at 6.20, okay? And so grandma brings them into my bedroom and tosses them onto the bed to wake me up. And that is just not acceptable, okay? That is violating the parameters that we agreed on as parents that weren't going to be violated. Um, and so uh, I don't know how that skipped a generation there. We're going to work on that one probably means I have to get up earlier, which is, uh, anyway, so um, you're going to win that war shopping. You're not going to win that war at the table. And remember, appetite changes by growth, uh, it, and so does their appetite for different kinds of foods will develop as they mature, uh, but what you give them is, uh, what you give them access to will largely regulate that. If you severely limit the sugar, they won't have an appetite for it. They won't even necessarily identify it as something they want. And, uh, and I have some children that come by. Uh, the Brummett kids were notorious for that. I want a vegetable, except for the youngest. She is a rebel against the diet of the family. Um, and and uh, we got to watch her. We're life clubs because she'll get a handful and, you know, stuff them all in her mouth. Because she knows they're not allowed at the home. So she's got to stuff them before she can find it. And she doesn't notice that there's evidence all over her and that there's wrappers all around her. Um, how did you know? Well, your, your face is breaking out in candy, okay? It's all over the place. And so uh, there are going to be rebellion against that. And so you're going to have to pick your battles, but not at the dinner table. I don't encourage that. Um, and and uh, between meals, you can do that. And shopping, you can do that and where you put it. So let's talk about some of the questions you had about this. Um, we talked about dealing with children, discipline of correcting them and dealing with the rebellion. How are you, where are you going to fight the fights? And we talked about using intensity. We saw that in God's word um, that uh, God used intensity to communicate his displeasure with the behavior of his people. He did it with Israel when they came out of Egypt. Um, it was a death sentence. Uh, he did it with the early church. Uh, you lie to the Holy Spirit. It's a death sentence from God. Does that get your attention pretty quick? Whoa, okay, we better take this serious. Uh, this is not something to play with. And so God uses intensity, and we need to use intensity. And the question was, how do you distinguish between intensity and true anger? And uh, I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 57. Um, is it okay to be angry while you are disciplining? Yes, because sin is what has, hopefully, true sin, is their, either their disobedience, their rebellion against the schedule or the structure, um, their uh, doing bad, uh, and, and, I don't, and oh, it will create anger. It should create anger. 
We should be angry at sin in ourselves, in others, and God is angry at sin. Do you, and one of the things you're going to pick up on is how often God is angry. He was angry with Israel. He was angry. You, you have purposely pushed my buttons to make me angry, God has basically told them. That's the vernacular. But, but how could you have done anything worse than go off and get idols? And think, I'm not going to get angry about that? Um, you're offering your children up as sacrifices. You are bringing these, these things into your very homes and setting them up in your living rooms. You are doing all these things. And you think, I don't notice. You think I'm blind like your idols are? Do you think I'm deaf? Do you think I'm dumb? Uh, you know, so God got angry. And so do not associate anger with sin. The Bible says what? Be angry and sin not. It doesn't say sin, it is a sin to be angry. It says be angry, but do not sin. Now that requires an incredible amount of self-control. You're allowed to be angry. In fact, I believe anger should be evident in your eyes, in your voice, in your mannerisms. It should be very evident that you're angry because they need to know that this is wrong. And anger is the mechanism by which you communicate. So do not think you're not, don't have permission to be angry. But if you are out of control in a rage, then that is not the time to start swinging at your child. That is, and so if that is a situation, that's where you need to just back off and, and collect yourself and then go ahead and still be angry, but in a controlled manner which will bring out some violence. Um, I'm not against a violent discipline of children. Um, not in terms of injury, uh, in terms of substantial injury. Don't break their bones and snap their, you know, uh, cut them up. No, but in terms of physical discipline, um, I use several. Uh, my kids, I think one of the things that they... I don't know, I'd have to interview them in front of you, and I've done that before. Um, they knew they were in deep trouble in public when they got dad's hand on their shoulder and he started to squeeze. I don't mean a little bit. I mean, they could go to their knees with my squeeze if they, if they just kept it up. Um, I also did this a lot. Bam, right? And that was enough. But that was only enough in public because of what happened in private. Because that meant you're in trouble. And we're going to deal with this. The squeeze meant you have hit your limit and you're going to be disciplined. This is just my warning to you. That it's on its way. When we have the occasion to do it. And so... Um, when, and that's okay to, do, to use those kinds of things, but is it all right to be angry? Yes, it should, you should have anger, um, but in that anger you should have control, you should have uh, the capacity to stop, you should have, uh, it should not overflow to anyone else, it should be directed, and it should ebb, that is, it should have a way out, the child should have a way out. And if you're not providing a child a way toward repentance, then you are sinning against your child. How do you have anger and sin not? You have anger because of the sin, not against the person, and the person is getting the brunt of that discipline, but you are providing them a way of escape even as you're disciplining them. This is, now, if you would repent, and God keeps coming and say, please repent, humble yourself, humble yourself, repent. So that I can turn away from my wrath. you got to give them that avenue. And if you're not providing them that avenue, if they have not been trained in that, then uh, that wrath is probably sinning against your child. And that's what's wrapped up in this idea of frustrating your child. Do not, do not, fathers, do not um, uh, produce wrath or bitterness in your children by not giving them a mechanism to get it right and that they can't ever make it right once they've gone wrong. Um, and so try to remove those things from your vocabulary. I don't ever want to see your face again. Well, that's not true, is it? 
That's your anger speaking. And by the way, God did say that a few times. He did say those things. You know, I, I forget you. You know, you're, 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 I'm done with Jerusalem. I'm done with this mountain. And then he turns and he says, okay, well now, this, the next generation later is repenting from Babylon. He says, okay, well, I'll take you back to that mountain. So you provide an avenue. Let's look at Isaiah 57. Let's pick up in verse 15 of Isaiah 57. Uh, well, now let's back up a little bit. Um, <clears throat> verse 15. Uh, Isaiah 57. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, nor will I be always be angry. For the spirit would fail before me and the souls which I have made. For the iniquity of his covetousness, I was angry and struck him. I hid and was angry. Remember, we talked about hiding your face, breaking fellowship. I, you do not have my attention. All right? All that is the evidence of anger. I'm going to strike you. I'm going to hide from you. You're not going to have access to me. You're not going to have any of my blessings. You're not going to have any benefits from me. This is the result of anger. The anger of the Lord against your sin. And it is not a sin to be angry. Be angry, but don't sin in the process by embittering your child. So look at the next statement. Look at what he says. First of all, I'm not going to be angry forever. I'm not going to contend against you forever. Um, either you're going to die, or the next, and the next generation will feel my grace, or you're going to repent. Um, I'm not going to contend forever because I can, I can destroy you. That's what he says. Um, the spirit would fail before me in the souls which I have made. I could destroy you completely as a people if I sustained my anger. Uh, that might be a good definition of hell, where the wrath of God is sustained forever and ever. Uh, if I sustained my anger, you would fail. And do not set them up for failure. God says, I'm not going to keep contending forever. And so he says, I struck the one uh, because of his covetousness. Uh, I was angry, struck him. I hid my face from him and was angry. And he went on backsliding in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will also lead him and, comf and restore comforts to him and to his mourners. And so he was still backsliding. Remember this passage started off with, I'm looking for the contrite and the repentant, the one who humbles himself. And... Um, and so I don't have to remain angry at you. Let's get this right by your confession. Uh, what usually happens is the parent feels bad because they got angry. And you uh, go and apologize to your child for your anger. Is that what God has done here? Do not apologize your, to your child for being intense and angry. If your anger was directed at their sin. If you've been angry and sin not, you have nothing to apologize for. They are still in the position of needing to apologize. I'm sorry I did that to make you angry. And I will tell children, that makes me angry. I actually used that in the nursery this morning. You're making me angry. Why? Because you're doing wrong. You're not obeying. So you're making me angry. You might say, well, come on, you're an adult. You can control yourself. No, this is the right response to sin is anger. This is God's response to sin, to disobedience. In this case, it was covetousness specifically. But there's a place for healing. There's a place for comfort. There's a place, but look at who he's comforting. Mourners, those who are sorry. The word mourning there is to be sorry, to be broken-spirited, to be humble, contrite, so I'm ready to heal you if you're sorry. And if you're unwilling to receive a repentant, sorry child, then you are sinning in your anger to them. Because you're not giving them a way of escape, a way of restoration. And God doesn't do that. He says, I'm, I've sent my prophets, I sent the warnings, I've sent 
some discipline and now worse discipline and I'm waiting. I want to heal you. I will lead you. I'll comfort you when you're sorry. But until you're sorry, there's verse 20 and 21. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. You will not be at peace with your Father in heaven if you're wicked. And your children should not be able to be at peace with you when they are holding on to rebellion in their life. All right? There should not be any peace. What does it mean to be at peace with someone? It means that we are in a right, growing, healthy, beneficial relationship. When God says, I struck you and I hid my face from you, that means we have a broken relationship. You had this act of violence done against you. We talked about that very early on, that uh, they think of it as evil, and it is an evil. Okay? And because from their perspective, you, you have brought pain in their life. They don't think of themselves as the pain bringer. They think of you as the pain bringer, which is the way we act to God when we have discipline in our life from him. The Corinthians did it to God, and, and Paul says, you know, why do you think you're being disciplined by God? Because he loves you and he chastens every son. You've been chastened by God. And so, but we don't view it that way. Oh, how can you do this to be God? Well, you've been sinning. So yeah, it should happen. All right, you need it to be pure, to be more righteous. So the wicked should never be at peace. There is no peace for them. So as long as your child is clinging to wickedness, there should be no peace between you. There is no peace treaty. Okay? And that's probably the best illustration I can give to you. There should be a, when your child is broken finally and is really sorry, you should have a little peace treaty. Okay? What does a peace treaty look like? Well, two warring factions come together and we set terms for the future. How are we going to relate to each other in the future? Um, who sets the terms? The person who won the war or the person who lost the war? The one who won it. You have to be the winner of this war for your children's sake. If you are the first to concede, you have lost. Your child has to concede and you set the terms. So listen, now if you've sinned against them in the process, remember what first got you angry was their sin. And you went too far, you can address that after they have addressed theirs. It's not your initiation. And so you're opening the door and saying, uh, I'm ready to receive a white flag whenever you're ready. And so I tell children, even my grandkids, uh, they're screaming or whatever. And of course, if they're in trouble with me at my house um, and I send them to the corner, they're in the corner yelling, I want my mommy! I want my... And then I find out today that when they're at auntie's house or mom's house, I want pop pop! I want... What are they doing? They're saying it's all your fault. And that's an attempted injury. And I just tell them, when you're quiet, we can talk about this. You're going to stand in that corner till you're done making noise. As long as you make noise, you're going to be in that corner. Or worse, it can get worse. Because you can get into a dark room with a corner instead of the room where I'm at. You could be in a closet instead of the corner. You, know, you could be in a dark place. So it can get worse. And so usually it takes them a little bit. I give them a little time. And um, they quiet down. And then once they're quiet down, not immediately, but after they're quiet down a little bit, I was like, come here. Peace treaty time. I won because they're quiet. Peace treaty time. What did you do wrong? You sorry? No. Go back to the corner. Oh, we start all over. I'm willing to do that 100 times a day because I love my grandkids or my kids. But it usually doesn't take 100 times a day. So the question is when, is, when is anger too much? It is when you have not done what God does and said, I am waiting for a peace treaty. I am wait, I'm wanting to get, bring peace, but you're going to have to be contrite, broken. You're going to have to mourn. You're going to be sorry for your sin. And if you're not opening that door, if you're not allowing that access, and it might take days 
When your child is like 12 and 13, it might be weeks before they come and say they're sorry. Which means for weeks, you're going to have to turn your face away from them and have no peace between you and them. Which means no peace between your spouse and them. Please, support your spouse. Which means no peace between pap-pap and them. Grandpa, grandma, please support the parents. They're in trouble. Well, they're in trouble with you, not me. No, wrong. They're in trouble. Which if they're in trouble at home, they're in trouble at my house. If they're in trouble, if they got in trouble on the way to church, they're in trouble in my class. If they're in trouble when they come in here, they're in trouble in church. Because there's no peace between them and dad or them and mom, there is no peace in their life. That's what it means to have a righteousness of a community. And this is how church discipline works, too. If you are not right with God, there should be no peace. So if you make peace with someone I'm at war with, who are you? You're the enemy. Do not become your spouse's enemy by making peace with a child they're at war with. If there's no peace between them because of that sin, there's no peace there. Now, can you come in and say, well, they didn't, I didn't see that sin, I didn't have the anger, and you can moderate, be a mediator there? Sure, but make sure your mediation isn't going to mom or to dad and saying, you're just too hard on them. You better make your mediating going to the child and say, you should be sorry for that. And help them come to be a mourner and seeking that and facilitating that's what Jesus Christ says. He comes to you and says, You need to repent of your sin. He doesn't come to you and say, Oh, God is so tough on you guys, you poor people. Now that I'm one of you, I understand. How could God do this to you? Jesus Christ would never do that, would he? No, he comes to you and says, You're a bunch of sinners, just like my dad said. Repent. He's the holy one, and it starts off with the holiness. And so, uh, please recognize that. So hopefully that answers that question. That's a long answer, but that's from God's word. Um, the other question was, what about when a form of discipline has no effect? And since we're in Isaiah, we're going to stay in Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. What happens when a form of discipline doesn't seem to make any difference? The kid just, yeah, didn't hurt. Or... They just don't respond. Uh, they don't care. You've taken away everything. Pretty soon they're just naked in the bathroom, hungry, um, and they don't care. Uh, remember, no discipline can remove rebellion. It only brings attention and punishes wrong. It cannot correct the heart. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 9. You know Isaiah 9 because of the first half of the chapter, which is a great messianic chapter about uh, the coming light. Uh, the people who walked in darkness seen a great light and all that. Well, you don't know very much about the last half of the chapter, so let's jump in in verse 8. It says, The Lord sent a word against Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. So that's the northern tribe and the southern tribe. All the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria, who say in pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of resin against him and spur his enemies on, the Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with an open mouth. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For the people do not turn to him who strikes them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore the Lord will cut off head and tail from Israel, palm branch and bulrush in one day. The elder and honorable, he is the head. The prophet who teaches lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err or sin, and those who are led by them are destroyed. Therefore the Lord will have no joy in their young men, nor have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is a hypocrite and evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. What do you know about verses that are repeated in passages? 
They're important. They're emphatic. We're going to keep repeating this. His anger is not turned away. So what happened? God destroyed their homes, and they said, we'll rebuild them. You destroyed our homes. It was an earthquake, and there was a famine, and there were some other things. God was using natural disasters to try to get Israel's attention. Um, natural disasters are called on your insurance policies what? Do you know? On your house insurance policy, what is it called? To this day, this is what it's called. Acts of God. <laughs> That's what floods and tornadoes and all those things are called. Acts of God. All right? So God sent these <laughs> punishments to get their attention. And they said, we'll rebuild. And they just stiffened instead of humbling and mourning. Does that sound like your child after you've disciplined them and it didn't have an effect? They just thought, that didn't hurt. And it was like, that was the stupidest thing you could have ever said to dad. Because if you don't think dad is capable of hurting you, you are the biggest fool there is. In fact, if you don't think mom is capable of hurting you, you're a bigger fool. Because she has the ear of dad. This is what Israel did to God. Huh. You want to knock down a house of brick? We're going to make them out of rocks that you can't hardly knock down. Hewn stone. You're going to take out, um, what, what, what kind of wood was it? We're going to replace it with cedar. You can't burn, you can't rot cedar down. And uh, so you, 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 you take out our sycamores, we're going to replace them with cedars. We're going, to, we're going to build bigger and stronger houses and we're going to snub our nose at God. So what does God do? What do you do with a child that doesn't respond to discipline? You stay angry and keep your hand lifted against them. God says, I'm, my anger is not appeased. If anything, I'm more angry, and now I'm going to keep wailing on you with different things. So, the first things he said were natural disasters. Their houses fell down um, or, rain, or flooded, all those kind of things. Uh, locusts, things like that. And uh, we're going to rebuild. We're strong. We're, we, we're tough. You can't touch me to God. God says, okay. Um, uh, let's call the Syrians down. The Assyrians. Let's bring in your enemies. Let's, let's bring them up. In fact, let's bring them from every direction. We're going to bring the Philistines up from the south. We're going to bring the Syrians down from the north. We're just going to plaster you. And if that's not enough, I got more up my sleeve. If that's not enough, he says, um, my hand's still lifted up. I am going to have, I'm going to cut off your head and your tail. I'm going to take away all the people you trust in. I'm going to cut off not only... Listen very carefully. You're in a broken relationship with God. All right? We're comparing that to a relationship between a parent and a rebellious child. You're in a broken relationship with God. So what does God do? Since you're not responding to his discipline, he cuts off your other relationships around you. So now, they're not only not at peace with dad and mom, now they're not at peace with their neighbors. Who are your children's neighbors? They're siblings, other relatives. That's why it's so important that you don't undermine parental discipline. You know, I don't even smile at a kid. I just go, dummy. Obey your parents, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, first command with promise. And so now we're going to bring it in from all sides, and now you're going to be enemy number. How do you make a child at war with their siblings. You might say, well, they're always at war. <laughs> but that's not true. There, there is a support system among siblings. Uh, remember we talked about that last week, that there's a little mafia. They can become a, very, a little mafia very quickly. All right? And I, I had four siblings, so I know how mafias work among siblings. We figure out how to get around mom and dad's punishment schedules. All right, so how do we do that? Well, you might say, well, isolation. Yes, um, and sometimes we do it by making everyone in trouble for one person. Now, that's not really a fair thing. 
And so I'm, I don't do it to the degree, but I remember one time something happened in our house and everyone was in a corner. Every single kid was in a corner because one kid did something, but the child would not admit it. So everyone was in trouble. What do you think the siblings thought of the one who did it? No, it wasn't a he. <laughs> Good job, no one saw it. But that one person knew who it was because they did it. What did you think of her, Brenda? They still remind her to this day that she did that to them. To this day. So, um, there's natural consequences. And those natural we need to isolate we need to isolate them from their siblings from their other support groups and make it understand there is no peace for the wicked if they don't respond to one thing I'm gonna get a little creative but I'm not gonna just say just shrug my shoulders as all oh, there's no use no I'm gonna tell them I'm still angry with you my hand is still raised and if you want to push this farther I will make it worse in your life and I can keep making it worse Will that bring them to repentance? Pray that it does. But it will not, it doesn't necessarily mean they will obey and repent. Israel didn't, and they were destroyed. Remember, God wanted, a, he said, here's how to get out. Here's how, I sent them prophets, sent them, sent them opportunity. He sends Jeremiah, this is Isaiah, but he sends Jeremiah and he says, go up there, maybe they'll all repent. <laughs> That's a great passage. Here's plan A, they all repent. Well, it doesn't happen. And so when they don't repent, here's what you got to tell them. Here's what's coming down the road. Don't be afraid to tell your child, if you think this is bad, I have worse. It can get worse and worse. And worse, but do not just threaten. Implement. And yes, everything they've received from your hand, you can remove from them. Okay? Let me say that again. Everything they've received from your hand, the benefits of having you as their parent, all of those can be removed. That means access to anything and possession of anything. God says, I am the ruler of all the earth. And, uh, and that was in Isaiah 57. He started off that way. In 58, he talks about it some more. Um, I'm the one that, that created all things. And so I have the authority and the right to exercise this. And so you're going to have to be creative, consistent, and persistent. Realize as they get older, if you don't, if you let them be at peace without righteousness, to be at peace without repentance in their youngest years, it will only get worse because you've lost a war. And they're going to be setting the terms from then on out because they're the victors. And they'll be setting the terms of the treaty that you're going to have with them. And so uh, be persistent. God here is persistent. And he says, I'm still angry um, I did this and it wasn't enough. I did this and it wasn't enough, so now I'm going to do this. And if that's not enough, uh, and, and look at how bad it is. This is, this is one of the only passages of Scripture where God does not extend mercy to a group of people. Did you see it there? I tried to em emphasize it when I read it. Uh, where am I? I turned the page somehow. Uh Verse 17, therefore the Lord will have no joy in their young men, nor have mercy on their fatherless and widows. Even when Israel was at their worst, God was there for the fatherless and widows. He took up their cause, and he says, I'm even going to go to the extent that I'm not even going to show mercy to them. Because every mouth is speaking foolishness or folly or um, whatever, um, everyone is, is lying. They're, hypocr they're hypocritical. And so um, God says, I'm even going to take it that far. Uh, I'm not even, this is the most precious group of people in the eyes of the Lord are the fatherless and widows. And he turns his back and has no mercy even on them. 
So yes, be prepared. Brace yourself. Be an adult and realize you might have to go to some places you don't really want to go to. And you might feel a little bad about it when you go to bed at night. I'm pretty sure God doesn't like being unmerciful to fathers and widows. They are some of the most precious people in his sight. And he condemns Israel for mistreating them. And so you're going to have to struggle with that and love your child enough to persist for their benefit. Will it eliminate their rebellion? No. They can still stiffen their neck against you. Uh, the question is, do you love them enough to persist, to hide your face from them, to raise the ante, if you will, um, and to demonstrate that they have no peace. They have no peace until they repent. Do not lose that war. Do not lose that war. Or your children will be setting the treaty terms and they will be disastrous for their lives. It might make it easier for you because you're like, oh, do whatever you want then. Well, that's lazy parenting. And the Lord doesn't parent us that way. All right, last question for the night. What about if there's other reasons for inappropriate behavior other than rebellion? Um, and there can be. And we talked about some of those early on. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, that some of these are because they're tired. And again, that's something that falls on you sometimes. There could be some diet issues. Um, I get, I have sugar problems when I don't eat, and um, I can become something my family is called, that everyone else, I guess, calls now hangry, which is I'm hungry, angry. Not really, I'm not really angry about anything. I'm just hungry, and my blood sugar has dropped, and, and that can be going on with your child, um, especially, you know, especially if their diet is irregular, if their meals are irregular, and their blood sugar is taking big dips and things like that because of their diet. Um, there could also be some uh, other physical issues. Um, we've had defiance dealt with by just getting hearing aids. Child couldn't hear. Um, the Leachmans were just going after their little guy, trying to get Oliver to obey, obey, obey. Well, he was deaf bilaterally. Okay? So we need to address those kinds of things. And so, yes, there are other reasons than rebellion for disobedience. Um, and sometimes they can be just uh, a not cognitively developed as you think they are. And again, we talked about this very early on with growing in wisdom. Do not talk to your child as if they are adults. Talk in a terminology. It's, it's in, in normal conversation, we want to develop their vocabulary by introducing new words to them. In the command setting, you do not introduce new words in a command set. They're words that they need to know. And if, they, if you say, go, go get me that doobly-wop, um, and they don't know what a doobly-wop is, and they're just staring at you, well, they're not obeying. You get mad, you're going to discipline them? No, you just introduce something they have no idea what it is. A doobly-wop. What in the world is a doobly-wop? Do you know what a doobly-wop is? Joshua? Well, go get one now. He can't because he doesn't know what a doobly-wop is. I'm going to talk to your dad now. Mr. Gonzalez. I keep on saying guitarist. Mr. Gonzalez, go get a doobly-wop for me now. <laughs> no. He doesn't know either. You know why? Because no such thing exists. I just made up that word. But as far as your child's concerned, they didn't know what that was, and they're just going to look at you. And that's not defiance. That's not rebellion. That's ignorance. And so, um, but if I've trained them, that's what this tool is. This tool is called, and, and my children and I teach them the tools. I said, this is what this is. And I'm still teaching them the names of tools so that when I send them, I, I need this kind of wrench, not that kind of wrench. And so they know, distinguish the difference between a, a, a speed square and a framing square. You know, and so I need a speed square, I need a framing square, I need this, I need that. And if they bring it wrong with that, I'm not going to get angry at them. 
unless I've already educated them. I was like, what is wrong with you? You know what the difference is. But if they don't, that's, that's ignorance. That's not rebellion. And so we need to be understanding of that. Can there be some cognitive problems? Yes. Uh, every child processes commands differently. And some have a problem processing audible commands. And it's called audible processing disorder, believe it or not. I actually went to a class on it when I was a foster parent on that disorder, um, that they are mixing up the words in their head. It's almost like a oral, uh, what is it when they read, see, uh, dyslexia. It's almost oral dyslexia, that their words get mixed up in their head when they hear them. And especially if they're nervous or if there's a lot of stress involved or there's a lot of, uh, uh, that that can't happen. And so we need to be careful evaluators of our child's capacities, physical capacities to obey. And once we know we're in the physical capacity to obey um, and they just choose not to, now we're dealing with rebellion and we can address it. But there are other things and we need to be alerted to that, that there is ignorance, there is capacity issues, there is uh, things like that that need to be addressed. And, um, but I do want to say one thing. And I, I know my time is up, but I want, I'm still in Isaiah, chapter 45. I want you to go to 45. Because I think there's too much blame being put on parents for children's behavior, okay, for their rebellion. So while we've said all of this, I also want to um, balance it. Isaiah 45, let's read verse 9. Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the, with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or shall your handiwork say he has no hands? Woe to him who says to his father, what are you begetting? Or to the woman, what have you brought forth? And that really the woman is mother. Woe to you who says to your father, what are you doing? Or to your mother, what are you begetting? Um, these are children blaming their parents for who they are. That's the sin that's being committed here. And Jesus Christ is saying, you're, or God telling Israel, what right, what are you doing coming to me saying, how did you do, how did you make us into this? You know, I'm the creator, you are the creation. You don't question me, I command you. And he takes that illustration into the home and says, Are, do you think children get to come up to you and say, blame you for who they are? What have you made here? Well, um, no. That's not appropriate. That's not righteous. And so um, I'm not trying, I don't want you to think that the outcome of your children are completely dependent upon you. Can you have influence? Can you do injury? Certainly, we understand al fetal alcohol syndrome because you drank or did drugs or whatever um, when you're pregnant, or for a woman, any time in her life prior to pregnancy because you carry all your eggs with you all your life. For men, um, their, their product, reproductive um, uh, aspect turns over so they just need 30 days of clean living before they're, they're having children to have less, in, to have the alcohol and drugs and stuff, whatever, cleared out and not affect um, their seed. Um, but for a woman, it's any time prior to, any time in your life, because you carry all your eggs with you. And so that's particularly true for gene-altering uh, things like marijuana. Okay, marijuana is a gene-altering drug, and so you just introduce that into all of your eggs uh, like a uh, little bullet in a roulette, in a, what do they call it? Russian roulette. You just introduce that. And so, yes, you can do some injury, you can do some things, but in terms of defining your children, they have authority over themselves. They need to define who they are going to be. And, I, and you will hear in our home, if you were in our, our home, you would hear us say to our children, is this who you want to be? They heard that question frequently. Is this who you are? Is this who you want to be? 
Because this isn't how we want you. This isn't how God wants you. This isn't how we trained you. This is your choice. You have to be the person you want to be. Is this who you want to be? And that needs to be something you confront your children with in the physical realm as well. Do you really want to be this lazy rebel that eats junk food all day? Is that who you want to be? Do you want to be that slob? Well, you're not going to get my help. And don't blame me. Your choice. So your children, even at a very young age, have a choice over who they want to be. And it is wrong to say, Mom, what are you making over here with me? This is all your fault. That's what Freud did. He told all those 20-somethings and teenagers to blame Mom and Dad for every problem you ever had. Wrong. The Bible says that is sin. Because if you can blame mom for who you've become or dad for who you become, you can blame God for who and what you are. That's wrong. So I wanted to throw that verse in at you. Uh, I'm not going to blame parents if children continue to rebel, but if I've seen that you're not putting out any effort to try to save them from rebellion, I'm going to confront you and say, you need to intervene for these kids' sake. Do you love them enough to... Be angry and sin not and persist in it with your hand raised and your face hid to save them. And so that's, I still don't have anything for what happens if your little girls are chatting in, in their bed at each other during the night, but I'll work on that. Next week is the soup and salad. The week after that, we start on growing in favor with God, spiritual growth. We've done mental growth, we've done physical growth, now spiritual growth and social growth is last. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word. And Lord, help us to know it better and bring it the principles that you show us in how you relate to us as our Father that we might put into our homes, into our lives, into all of our relationships with one another. Lord, help us as a church to really support our pastor, our parents and uh, their work, and Lord, that parenting isn't just them, it's us, that we are part of their community of faith, and, and whether we have children or not, that we have responsibility to one another to support that responsibility of, of seeing these children come to know you, serve you, and follow you. And Lord, we do pray for uh, the rebellion that is in our children. We know it's there, it's in all of us, and we pray that you might uh, help them to understand it, to recognize it, and to turn from it, and that we might be an example of those that uh, identify our own times of rebellion against you, against authorities in our life, that we might turn from it, that we might submit ourselves to your authority. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.